Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 300. Oh, yeah. We did it, Mike. <laughs> I think I'm you, started, wondering... you, you almost said 200. <laughs> I was like, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> that muscle memory almost got you. <laughs> Sorry. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my awesome co-host here, Mike. Mike. Come on, Mike. Hey, 300. This is Sparta of episodes. Yes, we made it. The, the episode where we talk about 300 the whole time. Yes, our uh, 300 review show. Yeah, 300 reviews. Uh, we're doing all the top 300 movies on IMDb. Here we go. No, uh, we do have an interview today. Pretty long one. Uh, Mr. Tyler James. Yes. So, it's been Tyler a, James, uh, a dude who is an been like the inspiration of so many Kickstarter creators over the years. Like a mm-hmm. guy that I followed forever. I've attempted to get him a few times. And I think when I sent out like, Hey, I want you for episode 300. He felt like he had to do it. So he's like, Oh shit. These guys, <laughs> these guys, act, they mean it. Like, yeah, dude, we gave you one of the, there's only, there's only been three of these episodes. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's pretty important. <laughs> that's all I have to say. I don't know how to, how to show the importance of that, but yes, <laughs> you yes. fall in the category of three people. So, awesome uh i think i think after this interview and hopefully for a lot of people that will listen to it i uh i'm way more into the things he's doing i didn't realize how like in-depth that podcast was and all that stuff so kind of opened my eyes to that uh besides all the publishing and stuff he was doing with kickstarter so uh hopefully everybody enjoys it yeah Yeah. and hopefully everybody checks out what he's doing afterwards too because yeah yeah great guy too uh, great yep. conversation, just awesome, awesome, awesome. I was so happy to get him for 300. So hope you all enjoy yeah. that part. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. 300 episodes, no end in sight. Um, unless like an apocalypse happens or something, but yeah, yeah we're about a couple weeks away. So yep, <laughs> unless like the M Night Shyamalan movie that's coming out, someone just locks us in a cabin. Is like you need to make a choice. <laughs> And the podcast. You want to have a gun? Just end me now. You can make that choice. Mm-hmm. I'd rather not get beaten with a bat by Batista, but I'll take a gun. <laughs> yeah. 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 He looks so funny in those glasses, too. Like, he's. <laughs> I want to see a movie of like Batista being an IT guy. <laughs> like, like Batista, like the secret PhD, like candidate. Yes. That's what I want to see. I, I mean, jokes aside, he's such a good dude. Um, and he seems like he, unlike, I mean, unlike The Rock, who just pumps out money for every role. Uh, Batista's actually said he wants to get away from, like, being typecasted and, you know, as, like, the big jacked meathead all the time. And I think he's he's taken some interesting roles lately that uh, I could say that he's he's definitely made an interesting career so far. Yeah, he... he- he wants seems like he wants to do like different stuff and he's been successful at it so far. I mean, not every role has been, although he's been in a lot of action stuff, not every role yeah. is really the same. Even like guardians, like he, that's a basically a comedic role. Right. So um, like, yeah, I would say the similar one was glass onion. He kind of played a, like a meathead, but uh, when he showed up in blade runner 2049, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we watched some stuff. Not a whole lot of news, but we've been watching things here and there. 
Uh, you finally watched Black Adam? I did. So what's up there? Good, bad? What do you rate it out of 10? So let me start this by saying anyone that hasn't watched it, I'm going to spoil some stuff because I, I really need to talk through some things here. Okay, it's um, uh, it's on HBO now and it's been for a while, so I think we're good. Yeah, I think the I'm the brain. last person to watch it, so I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure we're safe here. But, you know, fair warning. Yeah. Um, I'd probably give it like a six or seven. It's good. Yeah. You know, it's understandable. Yep. My comparison for it is it reminds me a lot of Batman v Superman. Okay. So it's billed as Black Adam versus JSA. Right. And the first act is that. The second act is them like locking him up and all this and then coming to terms with realizing they need him for something. Uh-huh. And then the third act is random villain who nobody saw coming. Yeah. <laughs> comes out of nowhere. The only thing that's not in it is like a Martha moment. But other than that, it's like the same structure as Batman v Superman. Yeah, it really and, uh, is. I guess I didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I criticize Marvel for this. So I'm going to criticize them for it. They throw in weird, like comedic moments throughout the movie that just yeah. don't work. That they don't need to do. No. Yeah. And the um, the little like skateboarding kid, like just get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. The action sequences are awesome. Yeah. DC knows how to do their action sequences, especially with their heavy hitting heroes. Yep. Uh, I agree. The with the my one exception being like they they really I hope James Gunn gets away from this Zack Snyder slow motion everything I know that they do. Oh my god. Yeah. That sequence was cool, but it's just it's overdone at DC and so it just didn't hit the way it could have if it was like, different. You're talking about when like Black Adam goes super fast, right? Like the first, yeah, when he first comes out and he's like going really fast and he like he puts the the grenade in the dude's mouth and like yeah. redirects the missile and all that. It's almost yeah. like a flash sequence, right? But the thing with yeah, like relativity wise, the only difference with Flash is he's moving fast while everything's slowed down. And those, I think that's I was gonna just bring that up. Like, why doesn't that bother me as much as it did in Black Adam? Or like because he's moving within the you know the slowed down frames, so. I, I expect it in a Flash movie. Yeah, right, right. I just think that Snyder's made a living off of these slow motion things, and it became like a part of DC's formula. Yeah. And I wish they would get away from it now, because especially since now they're trying to move away from the Snyderverse and do a different thing. Like, I, I hope this is, well, Flashpoint will probably have it too, but I hope this is the last <laughs> non-Flash movie to have this in it. Yeah. Um, and the villain at the end, like, didn't make sense to me. I'm like, okay, so like now he goes down to hell and he's a demon. And now he's back. And it was just an excuse to get the rock back out there. Yeah. I thought the rock was fine. Like he didn't play the rock, which was nice. He actually acted for once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my other thing was, is they did that thing that, uh, Marvel did in the first Avenger where they uh-huh. put the rock's head on like a skinny guy's body. And by skinny yeah. guy, I mean like not jacked. Like Yeah, not uh, like a tr- uh, freight train. <laughs> yeah, not like 20 pounds of steroids jacked. Yeah. And it's, I, it doesn't matter how many, how good the 
CG gets it look goofy. Yeah, it just looks weird. <laughs> all uh, in all, though, I thought it was a. I did think it was a good movie. Like I did have yeah. fun with my time there. Man, I did and, not realize that though. You blew my mind with the. It's a Batman. It is Batman versus Superman. Like, it's, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm just I'm thinking everything. Like, yeah, it is. It's Batman v Superman. And I think the reason why I have so much disdain for that movie as opposed to Black Adam is just because I don't have a strong connection to Black Adam. A, but right. B. The Martha thing will forever be enshrined in my head, not just because of the internet memory of it, but like a personal moment that happened where like somebody told me, oh, like they they really liked it and they told me it's really good. And like they come up with something that's never been done yeah. in a comic book ever. And then I saw it and I went back and I'm like, are you talking about the Martha thing? And they're like, yeah, wasn't that great? I go, that was the stupidest part of this movie. <laughs> But oh all that aside, Black Adam's good. Watch it. It's a fun action flick. Uh, oh, Dr. Fate steals the movie. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. That alone is worth watching it. Um, Hawkman's really great. I, I Cyclone and Adam Smasher like really bugged me because mm. especially more Adam Smasher than Cyclone, to be honest. Yeah. Because they tried really hard to make him this like he's this clumsy giant thing. And I just, it didn't work for me, mm-hmm. but Dr. Fate. So good. Oh yeah. 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 That my only, like the problem, the biggest problem I had with all of it. And I was just looking at the writers of the movie, which like didn't really do much before this. So um, I'm like, I'm trying to see if anybody from Batman V Superman was like involved here because that would make so much sense. Uh, but like you said, too much of that kid, too much focusing on other characters. Like when you have an opportunity to give me JSA and Black Adam in a movie and you don't fill every inch of that movie with those characters, <laughs> it's like I'm already annoyed. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if we're not like 80 percent plus with those characters, because I know like this is not I'm never going to see Dr. Fate on screen again. <laughs> like, like, I mean, hopefully, maybe, but like. That was just like my disappointment. I'm like, yeah, if you want to save CGI, whatever, but at least like give me a 30 minute scene of them sitting around a table in the JSA headquarters and like shooting the shit or something like just fill, fill it with that. Like they made the JSA into the X-Men. Yeah. Cause like their entire thing was like, come to my mansion and then fly on my plane and fly my (laughs) X jet X jet. Yeah. And it looked like the, uh, the Quin. what is it? The Quinjet? Is that what it is? Yeah. It looked like the Quinjet. Uh, and even looked like... I, I'm pretty sure it's the same building they used for fucking X-Men. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me. Like, that like entire that sequence, mentioned. I was just like, yeah. this is X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. But Hawkman was cool, too. Like, yeah. his suit... I mean, his suit at times looked goofy. It did. Like, when he was trying to be serious. Yeah. <laughs> like, the beak was kind of funny. Yeah, but I think yeah. it was funny. It was, but he Dr. was great. Fate... Yeah, translated so well from costume to powers to yeah. everything that like he was the star of that movie for me. Oh, like, yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you liked it. it. You know, it was a fun popcorn watch. Exactly. Uh, I watched one of the movies that is like over 90 percent of Rotten Tomatoes right now. Uh, <laughs> imagine that. I think it has a higher rating than Avatar. It wasn't Avatar, everybody. This was uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I watched it last night because you can rent it on Prime, even though it's at the theaters right now. Uh, Huge Shrek fan, so decided to check this out because of its ridiculously good score. 
Um, here, here, I loved it. Okay, the animation is different. It like goes between like this two D, three D thing, um, which was like okay, this is weird at first, but then you like almost it like grows on you by the end of the movie. Um, the the like villains in it is like little little Jack Horner, you know, sat in the corner with his thumb in the pie. It's like that dude <laughs> with the, like the plum thumbs. It's it's hilarious. Uh, and then like you have um. Uh, Florence Pugh voicing Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Uh, she plays Goldilocks. Um, and you have a bunch of other like magical references throughout the... So that's really cool. There's a Terminator reference in this movie. As there um, should be. Yep. There's a uh, a Wicker Man reference, that awful movie with Nicolas Cage where he goes, Not the bees, you bitches! But there's literally a scene where someone goes, not the bees. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they snuck that in there. Uh, this is, I believe it's supposed to be a kid's movie. It's DreamWorks. Uh, it shows blood three times, like blood, like someone getting sliced in red blood. Uh, they bleep it out, but they say, uh, I think it was like shithead and like fuck nugget. Um, yeah, I like I, you wouldn't, I can't like, you think I'm making this shit up, dude? Like, they literally say like bleep nugget. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> like who did this? Who let this go through a DreamWorks? The best part about that is like when you said that, I'm like, okay, they got They got a fuck and a shit in there, but yeah. no, no, they got a fuck nugget. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like you, like usually when there's a bleep in there, you like insert own word. But when they say blank nugget, that means when you bring your child to the movie, he's going to be like, mom, dad, what would they? Why would they bleep out nugget? What do they call it? Chicken nugget? Like, and it's like you have to explain that there's a profanity out there with nugget. <laughs> oh Which, my god! They're my kid. They probably heard it already, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but it was it was amazing, and the the best part, like the villain, was fucking terrifying. I'm not going to spoil like anything of like the villain's character. He reminds me of like a Dark Souls boss. Uh, his like whole thing about it and like the movie it's like I mean it, it makes sense like Puss in Boots he's like questioning like you know he, he almost like falls into depression because he's like he's lost like most of his nine lives so he has to like put away the he has to like retire and he like just tries to become a house cat at someone's house and obviously you know things happen but the whole movie was just like so good it was hilarious uh you're going to love it. Like, I, I can't wait to no. hear what you think about it because, and then there's obviously there's like some, there's some shit where he like, he, he, you know, the, this is all in early in the movie, so I'm not spoiling much, but he like has a fight with the, the main villain early on and gets his ass kicked. And then like throughout the movie, he gets, he has like PTSD from it. And it's like, what is Puss in Boots like shell shocked? Like what the fuck is going on? Um, I had no purpose being like, this is like a complete, stray away from like what DreamWorks usually puts out, which like DreamWorks doesn't put out bad stuff. But this was like a whole nother level of like, oh yeah, they're uh they're taking a leap with this one. And it was like I really enjoyed it. That's yeah. It's it's funny to be because like, you know, we met and bonded over comics and everything. And we obviously mm-hmm. have a lot in common. Yeah. Good friends and everything. One of the things I never thought that we would have like so much in common with is the love for the shrek cinematic universe <laughs> yeah 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 it's great yep like yeah 
<laughs> I mean, Shrek is so rewatchable. I it's insane. Those first two movies are fantastic. Like anyone that tells me that they're bad, they're just yeah. they don't uh, they don't get those it. are great movies. Like so if you don't get any further than that, I can understand. I still love yeah. them. Like they're just a blast. Yeah. But those first two movies are perfection. Yeah. I yeah, so I can't wait for you to watch it. Let me know your thoughts. Um okay. I found my uh by the oh. way, I found my copies of um Planet of the Apes, so that's oh, happening oh, very soon. Nice. Nice. There you go. I'm very excited for that. It's like how many movies? Uh so I got the five disc collection of the original five. Nice. Anyone wow. that can help me find the TV series that's playable on a United States DVD player, <laughs> um, let me know, because I really don't want to spend two hundred dollars on copy. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's too much. Um, as we so TV news, we're you know we're patiently waiting for the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, Wizards of the Coast announced that Paramount Plus has ordered a live action series based on the tabletop role playing game. The orders for an eight-episode series will be helmed by Ross and Marshall Thurber. No, we're not going to get into all the controversial D&D shit that happened this week because I don't care. Um, and it's I've talked about it a lot already. Um, <laughs> but we'll talk about this. I'm excited for a D&D movie, and I'm excited for a D&D TV show. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wish it wasn't Paramount, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paramount's grabbing all the good shit, apparently, so... And uh, apparently ruining it. Yeah. But I will, I'll check this out. I mean, we both love D&D. It's one of the few fantasy things that really catches my fancy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to support I mean, it, check it out. Hopefully it's good. What they need to do is like, why did everybody get excited for the Dungeons and Dragons movie trailer? Because you included things from the Dungeons and Dragons universe. That's what you got to, mm-hmm. you got to hook people with. So hopefully they understand that. Hopefully they're smart enough to like, at least acknowledge that they're in the same world yeah right you know you don't have to like connect them directly like chris pine doesn't need to show up yeah but like you just send out a press release that says like yeah this is happening in the same world like not not even like the same i mean there's different planes of existence in yeah like or you could yeah you could even touch like this sword coast and just stay there for the rest of the show you could even i don't i can't remember what exactly um the movie's touching on but you could even say like this is a prequel to the movie of what happened at Baldur's Gate. Yeah. And that's enough for me to be like, okay, they're connected. That's really like, you know, that's all I need. Yeah. Are they like, they have that one in, I can't think of the in in Dungeons Dragons. That's like out of space and time where everybody kind of like meets up. That'd be really cool. Yeah. yeah. Th- there's a lot of cool stuff they could do there. Uh, Disney plus now some news about the Agatha theory series. We're also excited about. First up is that you're hearing is entered into production, begun shooting. Also, we got news about the cast. Most of the actors from WandaVision will be returning. Um, we also get some new people cast like David Payton, David Lingle, Asif Alo, Amos Glick, Brian Brightman, and Kate Forbes. Um, none of those really ring a bell for me, but that's quite an add to the cast. Yeah, and they blew their load with Audrey Plaza joining early on. And I think this oh, is yeah. just like side characters. Yeah, yeah, I forgot she'll be in it. Yeah. It's one of those things I'll check out because I'm already invested. I, I mean, I sat through fucking She-Hulk. I'm sure I can sit through this. Yeah, um, yeah, you can do it. But it, it, 
it's the most confusing one for me why they even greenlit this yeah. personally like yeah the song was fun but <laughs> do i need a show i guess we'll find out yeah we will i'll let you all know what i think uh disney plus this is a rumor uh might be making a second season of moon knight before avengers secret wars comes out so it'd be interesting i hope that's real because i did enjoy moon knight a lot Awesome. It's not the best Marvel or Disney Plus show, but it was just a fun. It was fun to see that character on live action. It was fun to see them take it seriously, and the way they ended it just demanded that they keep going. Yeah, it's interesting that it's very critical to the rumor that it's happening before Secret Wars. So I wonder if like they're in talks to have him also be in Secret Wars for something. Yep. Even if it's just like a quick scene. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I didn't put in notes, but I, I think we should just mention too. So we record the show on S- Sundays. Apparently, Monday during football, we're going to be getting the Mandalorian season three trailer. So we're going to talk about oh. that next week. Oh, nice, nice. I didn't know. Well, that. Just so everyone knows, like that's why we're not talking about it. Yeah, all the trailers are dropping then. Yeah. Um, during football. Well, uh, it's, it's yeah. Sorry, it's um on ESPN. They have Monday mm-hmm. Night Football rights, so yeah. Disney, ESPN. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Wow. The big mouse cometh. Uh, movie news. We got the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer number two. We got to see a lot more of uh, pretty much everybody, but we see um, more of, oh my God, Kang the Conqueror himself. Also, this is super... They, they answered Chris's questions with this one um, with MODOK because we see MODOK for several frames, right? And with this menacing, like, armored mask thing and also without it. And it's a floating head, Chris. So my hope slash prediction was correct. Yeah. I thought that would happen as, like, an after credits thing to be in another movie, but apparently not. It's going to be in this one. Oh, yeah. And... I watched. I saw they released the trailer, and I sat down and watched it. I was at work, um, obviously, you know, working very hard. But yeah. <laughs> no problem. So I, I, I literally snuck away to watch it, and I like I'm in the corner, and I remember saying, "It's his, is that the face? Yeah, it's the goofy face." And then I started looking online for like stills of it and everything, and I remember just uh-huh. going over to everybody like, "It's fucking Modok's goofy dumb face. I love it." Oh, my God. <laughs> And I guess it makes sense that he's got to cover his face because, like, you could just blast him in the face, right? It's so big. Everybody else has a mask down in the quantum zone. Why not, Modoc? Yeah. yeah, he's got um, the tiny arms. It, yeah. Uh, that aside, though, like, the, the trailer's really good. Oh, it it is, shows yeah. more of, like, why Kang and Ant-Man are connected. Mm-hmm. And I like the thing of, like they're looping it back to end game and like Ant-Man losing five years of his life and not mm-hmm. being able to be with his daughter and all that stuff. So, and uh, it looks like Dr. Strange esque in some of the, the weird CG moments that they're doing. So yeah. I think the movie looks great. I'm, this is the most excited I've been for a Marvel movie in a while. Yeah. This is like, so. we're, this is the one that matters. It feels yeah. like, hopefully he doesn't disappoint me like Thor did. And I was really excited uh, for that one too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I could. I can't wait for it. I, I think I like this one better than the 
um, probably better than the first one, the first trailer for sure. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that I got confirmation that Modoc has a face and isn't a robot. Yeah. It was enough for me. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all I need to see. Um, all right. Do we got to do something to do here before the interview? Yeah. So uh, everybody, we've got an ad. So enjoy. This show is brought to you by, once again, Blendjet. I love smoothies, but I don't love smoothie bar prices. No, no, stupid. With my Blendjet 2 portable blender, I can make smoothie bar quality beverages for a fraction of the price. No more bulky blender that's a pain to use. I ended up hardly ever using. But when I got my Blendjet portable blender, everything was easy and convenient. I use it just about every day. It's actually pretty true. So, the Blendjet, Blendjet 2 is portable. So you can blend up smoothies at work, protein shakes at the gym, and even margaritas on the beach. Hell yeah. This is what Mike's doing all the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> Lit right now. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Lasts for 15 plus blends with a rechargeable and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water and a drop of soap, and you're good to go. So, yeah, I've been using mine mostly for the protein shakes. It's really good. Yeah, it's, um, it's way better for that than the shaker bottles. I agree. Yeah, the shaker bottles are trash. I, like, I'm ready to throw mine out now. Yeah. <laughs> and... uh Finally made a smoothie with it, and they did come out really good. So I really like this product. I'm really happy with it. Same so, here. Everyone out there, you want to get yours. I know you do. So what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. Make sure to use the promo code FCN12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Free two-day shipping. No other portable blender in the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it. Or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with Blendjet 2 Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use promo code FCN12 to get 12% off and the free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Like not only is it 12% off, you get free shipping. And if for some reason you hate it because you're just terrible at everything, you get your money back. Get your money back. Also, they have fun Disney characters. So, yeah, yeah, go check those out. So, yeah, come on. Go check it out. And now we're going to jump to this awesome interview we have with Mr. Tyler James. We'll see everybody on the other side. All right, everybody. we got a very special guest for you all this week. Uh, not only a comic creator himself, but somebody who inspires a lot of comic creators, uh, a fellow podcaster as well, a man of many hats. Everybody, welcome to the show, Tyler James. Welcome, Tyler. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Congrats on episode 300. I don't know the exact yeah. stats, but I'm pretty sure less than <laughs> 1% of all podcasts that go live ever make it to episode 300. So you guys are in elite company. <laughs> yeah something like that um yeah thanks for that man that's Thank you. And i don't think we ever thought we would get here but uh here we are and uh I don't, there's no end in sight unfortunately for us so here we keep chugging along and 
I know you are too. You got a lot of stuff going on too. So I'm glad we could get you on the show. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's amazing what happens when you build habits for like longer than say, you know, <laughs> 30 weeks. Like, yeah, right. It, like right. it's almost at a point where like it would be, you know, harder to not put out an episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> and like, break I wouldn't break the streak. You know, if we take like a, a week or two off, we kind of sit around on Sunday and I'm like, what do I, what do I do? I have nothing like keeping me in line to record. Like usually yeah. I'm waiting around to record all day. You know, like what the hell? It's so like the yeah. holidays. We, we bank a bunch of episodes and then, so we can take off and I still got to do all the post-production stuff, but I get it done. Then it's just like click button, upload, click button, upload. And I'm like, what am I doing with my Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? I mean, football's um, on, so that's nice, but yeah, that helps. Yeah. That helps. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, we got quite a bit to talk about. Uh, and, you know, our first our first time guests, we always have to put you through the gauntlet of uh, where, where you kind of got started in comics and, you know, why what made you so passionate about all of it. So let's just start there and then we'll talk about all the cool stuff. Yeah, it's, you know, in doing this work, there's probably an, uh, always like a handful of sort of like key pivotal moments, right? You know, much like any of our favorite uh, heroes, like they all have an origin story, but you know, there's certain key moments that like, you know, move the needle or change in the, and make and cause pivots in different directions. And so like, you know, picking any of them, um, you know, I was a kind of kid where, and it's funny, my, my boy is at, um, He's four and a half, uh, soon to be five, and he's at uh, a Montessori preschool, which is what I went to. And my mom tells me, like, would tell me that every day I would come home from preschool with a Batman utility belt that I would have sort of crafted together from all That's sorts awesome. of different things. And I was, I was you know, sure at the time I was sure it all worked and everything. Oh, um, for sure. And and uh, she remembers like having a conversation with my stepdad, like, uh, you know, Mike, uh, what are we going to do when he? He realizes he can't actually be a superhero when he grows up. <laughs> and uh turns out the answer was, well, all you got to do is uh make comics and that right. that'll scratch all those itch, yeah. all, all that itch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I grew up loving superheroes and um you know, eventually graduated from sort of the inherited from uncle's stash of comics and, mm -hmm. and, you know, picking up a garage sales and all of that to like, uh, discovering the wonderful world of a local comic book shop. I think it was like death of Superman that got me in for the first time. And, yep. and, um, and when I was there, the, uh, I started learning think about cool things like a pull list. And it's like, Oh, I could just show up and, <laughs> and these books will be here for me. That's pretty You'll awesome. Hold on to these for me and take my money. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, but at the time, like the one thing that always bothered me about um, reading the, the, the Superman's and the Batman's and the Spider-Man's is just the, the idea that I would never be able to get it all, you know, uh, there wasn't an internet back then. There wasn't even CD-ROMs where they were collecting every issue uh, on a digital thing that you could read, you know, on your computer with slow right. bandwidth, right? Yeah. Like it was nothing. It was just sort of like, well, you know, if you don't have <laughs> thousands of dollars to go score one of the limited numbers of copies of like Ama Amazing Spider-Man number one, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. And, that, and, and that kind of bothered me. Um, but then when I sort of saw that, uh, some of the top talent from Marvel and DC were leaving to start their own 
not just comic book company, but new comic book universe uh, in the form of image comics uh, at the mm-hmm. very origin of image comics, which was right around when I was, you know, 12, 13 um, and aware of it. Um, it sort of dawned on me like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I can jump in on the ground floor here. That's awesome. And it also made the connection to me that like these things like superheroes or characters that seemed like they were just, you know, things that always existed, like the Statue of Liberty or Mount Rushmore or, you know, the moon. Like, no, these things were actually created by people, in many cases, people that weren't all that much older than me. And it wasn't shortly after, like, I was reading those books, you know, jumping in, like, loving, loving it all, and then sort of realizing, wait a minute, you know, I could make this stuff too. And these guys aren't that much older than me that are making this. And, why not? Uh, and that's when I started like paying a lot of attention to like the, the people that were making the books and was also just kind of really interested in, in, in making them my, my, on my own. So, you know, once I, like when I was in high school, I was just like, that's what I, that, that was my thing. I uh, mm-hmm. had a drawing table in my room and crank on pages right. um, and, and um, put out, you know, a fair amount of output then. And, and, and so that's really when, when I got started um, and then sort of came back into it um, in my mid twenties, um, at sort of another sort of level and another level of seriousness. And so I've been kind of making comics, um, since, uh, uh, pretty consistently since about 26 and publishing them nice. under the comics tribe imprint since 2011. So that's awesome. And yeah, it's been, you, been, a, I mean, been a roller coaster. Man, you could just take over for me, just segueing us nicely into comics tribe. because <laughs> That's where I want to go next. Uh, so, yeah, you said publishing, and I know Comics Tribe is the the stuff you've got published is, I'd say, different than what you typically see from like the big two, which is always, I think, in my opinion, good because you'll take a little more risks than some of these other companies, right? You talked about people making image and doing their own thing, and I think that's why indie comics are so cool. So, uh, yeah, give us the rundown on Comics Tribe and like how that came about. Yeah, so um, Comics Tribe was sort of. Uh, it came apart um, in a couple of different fashions. One, I I was I sort of hit the hit a point where after for my first like say twenty seven or eight years of being on this planet, about mm-hmm. at least half of them I was making comics and I was doing everything one hundred percent myself. And um, I was working on a series at the time called Super Seed, which is about the world's first superpowered fertility clinic. Um, and uh, and that was a book that I was writing and drawing and penciling and inking and coloring and file prepping and doing literally everything for everything. Wow. And um, I enjoyed doing it. And and you know that was the sort of the first book that I really took on the convention circuit and um, had fun selling it and 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 learned learned a lot and it was uh, you know it it was entered in a couple of or like a, a comic contest and you know got me a little bit of money uh, that way um, but it was um, slow going you know it was like doing that around a day job and doing ev- everything um, and then also it, it it then started getting a little bit more exposure. And that's when sort of like some of the criticism came (laughs) and in sort of reading the criticism, like it's kind of like, it was clear to me that like every piece of the thing could have been a little, could have been better. And, and my 
question at the time was like, well, in my, in the time I have to spend devoted to my creative effort, do I like, like how long would it take me to get all of those areas of my skill set up to par such that I could have a comic book that could stand on the shelves next to the best stuff that image was putting out or Marvel was putting out and everything. Cause that's kind of, that's where I wanted to play. I wanted, you know, at the time I was mo- like, I wanted my books on the shelves and, and I wanted, you know, like, that and and so I sort of made the decision. You know what? Like, I actually, you know, I, I had this, and then I had a you know, dozen other ideas that are kicking around. And I, I'm like, you know what? What would happen if I sort of instead of just tried to do do the DIY do it all myself thing? What would happen if I started putting together some projects and um and and work with other creators mm-hmm. and tried to see if you know I could focus on some of the things that I thought I did particularly well and and then pull an artist that would would have like the right style for a different kind of book and and things like that and so um when I started doing that um I started realizing that like I was publishing under for lack of a better imprint Tyler James Comics right um but I decided that um you know I I, I did if I was going to be publishing work that's collaborative with other people. Like I didn't want it just to be under my name. Um, and then I was also working with an editor at the time who had been putting out some really good resources that had helped me elevate, um, from a writing perspective and just a craft perspective. And, um, and you know, nothing like getting an editor to tear your scripts to shreds <laughs> only to then <laughs> right. help you build them up to sort of make you realize, oh, okay, I'm not as good at this thing as I'm not quite as good as I think I am right, right yet, but also, you know, doing another round of revisions, uh, getting intelligent outside eyes on a thing can make that thing actually really, really better. And that's a process to build into it. Um, and so that, that person was uh, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Forbes, who um, super talented editor and um and and so we sort of combined forces to um create the comics tribe website where we were each going to write um uh, a couple of articles for the website and with the focus of the website is this is to you know comicstribe.com would help uh comic creators create better comics um and we were going to sort of uh, and use and we were going to use that as a website with resources and we're also going to use that as sort of a launching pad imprint name for some comic books that we would publish and so i had a couple of titles that i was working on um steven had a a, a couple of projects that that he was working on and then um steven also had a, a number of um editing clients that um some of them had some good stuff that didn't have homes and um one of Steven's editing clients uh, was a, a guy by the name of John Lees, uh, and Steven was editing his very first comic book script, um, which was a, a superhero uh, project called The Standard, um, and uh, and it was he was working with a an artist that we thought was really good named Jonathan Rector, and ended up um, saying, you know what, let's uh, maybe maybe this this could be a comics tribe book too, and so uh, and then um, we also partnered up with um, Joel Mulvey, who saw some of what we were doing um, with, with some of our, like, like the first couple of books that we put out. And he was interested because uh, that book didn't have, his first book didn't have a home, which was a book called Scam. And so we um, ultimately got, got the ball rolling with sort of three superhero, high concept, twisty titles. Um, one that was, was written by me and drawn by Cesar Feliciano, one by John and uh, John, Lees and John Reckon. Red 10, right? That was Red the Red 10. Ten, yeah. I remember that popping up in Free Comic Book Day, and that was a few years ago now. Um, that yeah. Book. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was a definitely an exciting experience to get that book, uh, in free comic book day. Um, you know, I think issue, like issue one through the direct market, like we were happy to get like 2000 copies sold. And then that issue zero, 40,000 copies, <laughs> like <laughs> just give it yeah. and, and, uh, and, and we could give them away, you know? Right. And, right. And so that yeah. was really, uh, that, that was fun to be a part of that event. Um, and, and helped, you know, put uh, us even further on the map. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we, we started out with sort of three high concept superhero books. Uh, haven't done a superhero book. Uh, we, we added one more, uh, which was Epic, um, that myself, uh, and uh, with myself, Matt Zolman and, and Fico Osio, um, and that came out for a, a number of issues. Um, and, but then we haven't really done a superhero book since, um, because it, as it turned out, you know, we had, we found that we just had a lot more success, um, in the other sort of genres that Marvel and DC don't quite have as, as locked down. Yep. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so it, it's been an evolution and, and it's fun because like the comics tribe books that we put out, um, you know, we've probably put over a doubt over about, you know, 20 titles, uh, or, or individual books or titles between, um, when, when we got started and now, but, um, I don't know that there's, a, there's a specific like direct connection to like all of the titles, but the feedback that we get a lot from our fans is just like, you know what, just if it's comics tribe, it gets backed. Like you guys <laughs> yeah. just, just put out a, a good quality title. And, 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 and so we've been able to in recent years, take chances on some, you know, interesting stuff that isn't necessarily like, a comics tribe book, but like, uh, usually it's a creator that we've had success working with in the past or that, or that we like working with the past or, um, just, um, a vibe that, um, we think our, our fan base will, will, will show up for. So it's been, um, and, it's been fun. And one of those big, uh, genres even successful in is probably horror. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, um, John Lee's, pitched a book called and then Emily was gone to us which was um pretty much a uh, which which was kind of a straight up horror and it was uh drawn by a guy named um Ian Laurie who when John first pitched it to me he pitched it to me in black and white and Ian's artwork is unmistakably unique but uh but also like he draws ugly and and the ugliness is the point um and what John initially sent me like just a few pages and it wasn't quite enough for me to get into the vibe of it. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if this would, this would really work. Um, but when he came back, uh, and, and he sent me the whole thing and by the end of like, by the end of it, I'm, I had to change my mind. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a sort of like an unsettling, like an un unsettling to get you in there. But then it's like, I couldn't imagine, art more perfectly paired for the story that John was telling, um, about a, uh, guy who sees, sees like visions of monsters everywhere he goes. Who's a ex cop. He goes, uh, in search of a missing girl and ends up finding hell instead, basically. Um, but it's, uh, brilliant. And, and then, uh, they brought on, um, uh, some, some brilliant, uh, coloring and brilliant lettering. Um, and, it was uh, just a, a really good book, and that book outsold anything that we had that we had put out. Um, and so it was a, this horror, this quirky horror book that we weren't sure that 
a quirky horror book set place, uh, taking place in, in, uh, Scott, like the Scottish Highlands. Um, nothing like nothing else we had put out and like nothing else, but, but with a, with a super long title called, you know, and then Emily was gone. Um, and yet it sort of was our best performer at the time. And so mm-hmm. we're like, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's see what else we can do in the, in the horror genre. <laughs> um, the, uh, book, um, Oxymoron, the loveliest nightmare, which was a spinoff kind of like a pseudo spinoff from the red 10. Um, but also uh, involved was was uh, written uh, co-written by myself and John Lee's, and um, and that also did did pretty well for us. And then John's sink sort of just absolutely blew up, and that's been you know Comics Tribe's most successful title to date, and um, one that um, will also probably end up being our longest running uh, series. As uh, I've read um, well into uh, the fourth volume and. Uh, the next issue of Sync will be out early uh, 2023. So we're excited about that. That's sort of uh, the next thing in the hopper. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I, you know, I came across you guys again uh, with A Fistful of Pain. Yeah. Because uh, that was a book that I was like super hyped about. I remember talking to Chris about it, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. And um, when I went back looking through Comics Tribe stuff, I'm like, wow, that was a Comics Tribe uh, book. And I, had not even realized it. Um, and that's a completely another uh, genre for you, Kung Fu sci-fi, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like the connective tissue of that is more, is more on the creative side. Um, Ryan K. Lindsay is a, a writer who I'm not sure if you've had him on, on the show yet. He's an Australian writer. Um, at this point he's been, uh, I think he's published with just about every, every uh publisher out there um he was also um one of the people selected to do that uh, dc workshop with writers workshop with scott snyder um just is known for doing these like big high concept uh genre storytelling but they all have like pack like an emotional punch and an emotional heart to it and he's also like exceptionally great at creating these huge worlds but getting in and getting out and not having, having it have to be a massive 12 issue miniseries or anything mm-hmm. like, you know, he can do one, he can, he can establish like a massive world and tell a, a poignant story in that um, and, and not have to drag it out. And, um, and so a fistful of pain was a project that he and one of his sort of best mates and table buddies on the Australian convention scene uh, is an artist by the name of Louis Joyce and he and Louis had been sort of tinkering with this for almost a decade. Um, and they uh, just sort of, you know, projects that, that Louis was working with around freelance and, and other stuff. And, um, and that Ryan was sort of, uh, you know, Ryan's writing style, like can go between, he can be very sort of prescriptive or he can sort of be very loose and sort of um, roll back and forth um, with his creative team. And so like um, when they brought, or, or when Ryan sort of brought the book up to me, it was after it was short, um, shortly after we had had um, su- success making like a really cool oversized graphic novella with an awesome hardcover uh, die cut hardcover for a book called She at the Tower of All That Is Known that Ryan did with Chris Panda. Um, and so you know I'd work with Ryan on that book. Prior to that, we had done a mini series called Chum with Ryan and. Um, uh, Sammy Cavella 
and um, and and so uh, that was out in the out in the direct market, and then. I also sort of gave Ryan his very first paycheck in comics for, uh, for a, a short uh, uh, story that he did in the Oxymoron anthology, which was the sort of original Kickstarter that started started my ball my, my ball rolling on Kickstarter um, in the very first place. Um, and so, uh, so Ryan's just somebody that that I'm always open to hear pitches from. And so, about a year and a half he, he had, ago, he brought a fistful of pain to me. Um, and like, I liked the pitch. I kind of like what he had, but when he gave me the, um, he gave me the script, uh, it was, I think clocking in at like a little under 40 pages. Um, and so it was sort of in this like tweener of a little bit bigger than a standard issue. But one thing Ryan does as a writer that I've noticed is like, he like has these big worlds and then he cuts absolutely to the bone. And one of the things that I'm like is, you know, Ryan, you are smarter than me. <laughs> like, flesh this out for me a little bit more. I, like, like I, th- there, there's a lot to be said for um, leaving stuff off the page and in, in, in the the reader's imagination. But at the same time, when you have like a stud of an artist like Louis Joyce, let's leave some room on the page to let to, to yeah. exp- let this thing breathe a little bit. And yep. so. Ryan took those notes and came back with another draft that was, uh, you know, closer to, I think 60, 64 pages or or thereabouts. Um, and I'm like, yeah, this, this, this is going to hit, this is, this is going to hit all the marks. And then, so they just, um, went to town with it. And then my, my job kind of been, you know, just doing some editing work on the book, um, reviewing the scripts and stuff, but then also thinking about, okay, these guys are doing their a, a game on the story and the material. Um, now we got to figure out what's going to be this like eye eye popping uh, presentation um, that has has been become like another comics tribe hallmark. Like we when we put out hardcovers, like we we try to uh, you know do something that people haven't seen before, um, right? And so um, we ended up coming up with this really cool sort of die cut foil enhanced uh, dragon cover where um the 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 die cut is the eyes of the dragon and this and the pupils of the dragon are these two warring sisters who um are are settling their their life uh their their age-old sibling rivalry over the family dragon um so uh we're i'm still waiting to see pics on the the finished version of the book they should be coming in any day now uh we'll be getting these out to kickstarter backers um early this uh early this year um but it's uh that was another one that was an awesome project to work on with those guys yeah it was definitely not something like i've seen before and that that's what caught my attention too was how you guys did the cover i thought that was sick the hardcover yeah you know people do judge books by their covers all the time so (laughs) yeah yeah they're they're pretty darn important (laughs) yep i think that well first of all i want to say um very impressively remembering everybody's name because i can barely remember mike's name yeah but uh, (laughs) i love it because that no that plugs everybody you know get their names out there so our listeners can figure them out too i think that's awesome yeah i mean my my memory is definitely not as sharp and and I, i joke like in town in town, we have a lot, like there's a lot of kids in the neighborhood. There's a lot of dogs in the neighborhood. And I often joke, like I remember dogs, dogs names. I got a photographic memory for other people's dogs names. Kids, I'm a little bit, be- I'm okay at. Parents, other parents, I can never remember. Yeah. Um, but creative teams, it definitely helps that like, 
I, I build a lot of the Kickstarter pages that we mm-hmm. end up launching. And so I end up like typing people's names yeah, that <laughs> helps. in promotional emails and other things. So I'm sure, I'm sure that definitely helps. But sometimes when, you know, I, I, I can occasionally forget a, you know, someone, someone that's worked on a, a book and, and I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I was having trouble pulling uh, Megan Wilson's name from the, the great coloring job that she did on, uh, and then Emily was gone. So uh, you know, I'll make up for that, Megan. Uh, cheers to you. Um, so you kind of uh, touched on it when you were talking about that, but that, that moment when you discovered Kickstarter and you saw this as a path forward, like wh- what did that do for you personally, both in comics and then we can jump into comics um, launch a little bit later on, but how did that kind of change your path when you discovered Kickstarter and saw that this was viable for comics? Because you were one, one of the first yeah. to do it. Am I correct in that? I wasn't. You know, I wasn't one of the first to do it. I th- I think I was, um, but I was, but you know, in hindsight, I, I was a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, when I like, I was watching what was going on on Kickstarter. Um, and at the time I was sort of um, like working on a web comic that I knew wasn't going to be a big thing. It was kind of more of a personal project that I had to, you know, I think ev- everybody has a, has a project that they, they do to get over a bad relationship. And this, this was mine. It was a, you know, a, a web comic. So I'm working on that, but as I'm working on that, um, I'm noticing this Kickstarter thing sort of come about. Um, and I, I was back in a few projects here and there w- when they looked interesting or if they were friends or, or people that I had met, you know, and I think the first four projects that I backed failed miserably. But, um, and you know, there, there was a lot of like, well, you know, is this go- like, why would people do this? The book's not even done. How are you going to, you know, like, like it, it just, it, it didn't really make too much sense when I like at first as a lot of people. And then, and then also like, um, just some thoughts about like, well, uh, wh- uh, why would you do it on Kickstarter? Like there were other webcomic people that were like doing something similar where they were putting PayPal buttons on their websites. And so there was a lot of like, you know, things that are all silly arguments now when, when we look back at them. As, uh, but, um, but I, I was a little bit of skeptical, but then from like, I, a couple of projects I backed, like started getting funded and some were getting funded really well. And, and then there was a couple of projects that I'm like, wow, this person knocked this project out of the park. They, they turned it into an event. It felt like it had stakes. They were everywhere. People were talking about it. And it just like, just crazy to me, like seeing how, you know, the backers just kept coming, the momentum kept coming and it, it kept going up up and up. And I'm like, yeah, there, there is something to this. Uh, and so I was reading everything I could like at this time, you know, there were probably like at that time you could read like all of the articles on the internet by people that had done comic book Kickstarters. Cause there were about five of them <laughs> about people <laughs> saying what worked and what didn't. Um, and even then like, uh, and, 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 uh, but I was like listening to podcasts in the gaming space because that took off a little bit earlier than than comics did. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, I'm like you know this 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 could definitely work. Um, but at the time, I, I I was suffering from another Kickstarter myth. At the time, was that well, clearly this couldn't be something that a creator could do again and again and again. It's more like a you know 
like a, a grant that you get to go to college, right? You get that grant, but, but, but uh, that grant just doesn't keep coming every single year. And then after you leave college, right? It's a Kickstarter, right? It's just, it's just something to, to do. So um, I didn't want to waste my sort of one shot at a Kickstarter on a small project. I wanted to waste it on something that I could really, um, you know, go to town with, maybe raise like a, a decent amount of funding and something that would like just help sort of level up Comics Tribe as a whole. And so that's sort of where I got the idea of um, doing an anthology project and making a making it a spinoff project of the Red 10, which was sort of at the time our most popular series, most known series, because it was you know, one of only a couple of series that we had any, I think any, any <laughs> even out there. Um, and so it just seemed like a smart project to do it. Um, but then also like, I was confident, you know, I could get a, you know, a few thousand dollars probably raised from my own network, but the idea of launching with a, um, anthology project that involved about, you know, 20 other creators, um, who were all sort of people that I had met on the scene or uh, writers that I work with or people that were, you know, I was interacting with online. Um, and and so the idea of, of doing that and having, uh, it, you know, pu pulling in them and, and their potential audiences, like I felt like that would give give us the best shot of um, of doing well with it. And so, yeah, in, in 2012, um, we launched the Oxymoron Anthology, had put an $8,500 goal on it. Um, and, uh, a month later it had raised, uh, 26,000, um, uh, right off the bat for our first Kickstarter, 450 backers. Um, and I basically like done every trick <laughs> that I learned from all of that studying during that campaign. And there hadn't been a lot of Kickstarter projects that sort of went into that that like really played the Kickstarter game, like at, at a super high level um, at that point. And um, so we got some good coverage on like bleeding, bleeding cool did an article, like just saying, you know, this was a really great campaign and, and that ended, ended up, you know, feeding more, more uh, funding and everything. And so, um, and so yeah, that $26,000 um, that I had raised during that campaign was, you know, more than I had made, my entire life, um, in terms of, of, of revenue, um, doing comics like combined. Um, and I had been doing like conventions for several years before then. And, and, um, and, and even had, you know, some, uh, a book out in the, uh, through, uh, in, in retail and, and doing other stuff. And we were making some online sales, but like just blew that past. And, and then, and that was like, wow, you know, when that money really like actually hit the hit the bank account, it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, like I, I in fact, I don't think I, I didn't have a business bank account before, <laughs> before Kickstarter. And I'm like, oh, crap, that. I need a yeah. business bank account. So like, yeah. so yeah, like, like it, it, if, if you want to, you know, know, like um, if, if you're if you're not treating your bit, your comic hobby or endeavors like a business before Kickstarter, after Kickstarter, you will kind of be forced to, uh, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that um, makes sense. But, um, but the, the thing that was cool and eye opening is that after we did it and delivered, delivered the books and got great, great feedback from it, we started saying, Hey, you know, when's the next one? We'll be back for the next one. Things like that. And it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like this isn't uh, just a one-time thing. As long as you, 
treat your backers right. Don't poison the well or whatever. Like this is a renewable resource. And so, um, you know, I, I think I'll be launching my 30th campaign with the next one. So uh, it, it has definitely proved to be a renewable resource for us. Awesome. And, and I, and I think uh, you've definitely built like a, or you're at least part of a community of people, um, especially through Kickstarter that you're, you're always like sharing ideas and helping each other out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, at that time, like of, of the Kickstarter, uh, in the lead up to that Kickstarter. And then after the Kickstarter, um, I started doing a lot more of my content that I was writing in, in blog form at that time on the comics tribe website, uh, that was sort of Kickstarter related. And I noticed that uh, over the next couple of years, that Kickstarter content was among the most um, read stuff that uh, I was writing about um, from other creators. Uh, the interest was there. And it was also the question, questions that people were coming up and um, asking me to be on panels and talking about or to uh, just asking questions like when I would meet creators on uh, online or on um, at conventions. Um, and then also, you know, people invite me on podcasts and a lot of times we're talking about crowdfunding and, and sort of, you know, Hey, is, is this legit? Is the bubble going to burst is like, uh, can this actually last, you know, uh, all this stuff. And at the same time, uh, so the kicks, the Kickstarters kept working a little bit and doing well. Um, but I was sort of struggling a little bit in the direct market where, um, you know, our books especially books like by John Lee's and, and, you know, Alex Cormick was starting to get um, a lot of acclaim for his, his art. And, um, you know, some of the books that we're putting out, like, I just kind of felt like the critical response and the, the fan response was not matching the sales numbers um, through, you know, comic shops and other things. And I was, um, like wh whose fault is that? Well, it's the publisher's fault, I guess. So it was falling on me. Yeah. So I was spending a lot of time in, during that point, just like doubling down on on my own education. Of I got to be a better marketer of this. I got to get these in front of more people. I got to I got to do things, you know, not just for Kickstarter but for other stuff. And so I was just diving into the world of podcasting and marketing podcasts and things like that, and just listening to a ton of podcasts more on the business side of things. Um, and I'm sure you find like. If you're someone that uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, uh, you may sort of be like, wait a minute, I, I have opinions and uh, talking about them sure is a whole lot easier than uh, than writing and blogging about them, right? It's, it's a lot yeah, easier to not, give you, you know. That's um, not how this started at all. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Am, I, am I calling you out there? Yeah. No, yeah, but, yeah. but it, it's, it's so true. I mean, I had, you know. I was tired of like seeing all the typos yep. in my, in my blogs and going back yeah. and correcting them. Um, and so I'm like, you know what, let me, um, th there's a space, like there's a space. Uh, and like one of one of the principles that I was also sort of learning in my marketing is like the power of, of niching down and sort of owning a little bit of like, it's better to like own a, a specific niche than try to compete in a super competitive, like wide niche. And so, um, and and that was sort of reiterated by like the power of like, and then Emily was gone. It's like, well, this is the number one Scottish horror book on the market, right? <laughs> like, right, yeah, it's the only one. But yeah. like, even just being able to say that, it's like, 
sure. Yeah, I want to read the number one Scottish, you know, like or, or things like that. Right. Uh, and so I'm like, all right, well, let me go out and I'm not just going to do like a general, like a, a super general making comics podcast because there's better ones out already out there. People better at making comics than me or better, better at more established at X, Y or Z. Um, but I said, you know what, like, let's just try to do a podcast that is focused on uh, comics, crowdfunding, Kickstarter, and uh, the strategies, mindsets, tactics, et cetera, that, that can make that work. Um, and at the time, m um, more than half of all projects that were launching in the comics category were failing to fund. So I was like, you know what? That doesn't have to be. And if it's more that creators are just are launching without a, a, a plan that's going to that, – like a lot of creators were launching – with projects that were never going to succeed. Um, but that didn't mean that they, they couldn't still be successful and couldn't build on success. They were just doing it wrong, you know? Right. Um, right. And so I, I, th I thought I could make an impact on that. And so originally, like, like I think the first episode, I made a commitment that I was going to do 24 episodes. I'm committing to be with you guys. Like it was at the middle of the year. I'm like, I will do episodes until the end of the year. We can do at least 24 episodes of this. So we'll see how this thing goes. Um, and, uh, that was 2015 and I've been doing it weekly ever since. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, the habit of, of, uh, yeah. of doing that. Um, and so, so yeah, so, uh, weekly podcasting eventually, um, as I was sort of building an audience for there, it was clear that, um, there were people in the audience that were, would, would have been interested in, in sort of more hands-on support and help, um, and guidance. Um, my background, um, is in education and technology. Um, so I decided to build sort of an online program specifically to teach creators how to plan, launch, execute amazing Kickstarter campaigns for their comics and graphic novels, and, and also how to build the audiences that would make those things successful. Um, and so in 2016, I started doing that, um, with a very small pilot group. Um, and fast forward to today, over 300 creators have sort of gone through my program. Uh, last uh, update, um, that those creators have collectively raised like close to $5 million for their projects. Wow. That's so um, cool, man. Over 550 launches, like 97% success rate. Um, uh, so it's been, been really cool to see, um, the ripple effect that that's kind of had. Uh, that's and, awesome. and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and it was, the combination of Kickstarter and, you know, opening up some other uh, sort of expanding what, what we were doing on the publishing side, and then also adding this um, creator support and education program that let me sort of leave my, uh, the day job that I was, you know, perfectly happy in at the time. But, um, you know, and, and it was my dream job for a while. I was, uh, doing video games and making sort of educational video games. Um, but it was my dream job until it wasn't. And then my dream job became, it's kind of what I'm doing now, which is either working on my own projects and publishing projects and launching those or helping creators uh, work on theirs. And so that's uh, what I've been doing uh, all day, every day since about 26, uh, the end of 2017, 2016, 2017. It, it all, it all wow. blow, goes together as a blur, but it's been a while. And uh, it, it's funny you say that because Chris and I started this podcast like the same year, I think. And uh, I, I see you're at like 400 episodes now. Uh, at least that's what you have on Apple. Yep. 390, uh, I think. Yep. Yeah. 
which is awesome. You got the the big 400 coming up. So we just hit 300. You're going to hit 400. That's, that's really cool. Um, but I, I, and I think this is something awesome. Like you said, cause you have like a niche there of like, yeah, there's people, there's creators talking to each other on podcasts and things like that, but this is something people can actually, cause there's, there's a lot of, uh, help that's needed out there for Kickstarter. Um, and I, I don't know. Why do you think that is? Was it people don't know who to access or who to reach out to for that? And this is kind of what your podcast is doing for them of like, Hey, this mm. is, you know, a beacon to go to. Um, I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean like comics is still a niche of a, like comics on Kickstarter is, is still like a pretty niche of a niche of a niche. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, true. And this thing happens when you start diving into that world or you start backing campaigns as a backer or you start um, launching projects as a creator or even just studying it where you you sort of you throw your whole self into it but you don't necessarily realize that still you know most people on planet earth have never backed a kickstarter project most comic book fans have, ne- have still never backed like a kickstarter project or don't get their stuff um, f- from them and so um but but also I think something that has happened um, when I first started, there just was very little in terms of material out there on crowdfunding, on comics, crowdfunding specifically. Um, now, if you Google it, like there's so much and there's sort of overwhelm. And so um, I guess the benefit of getting into the space when I did and then also staying there is um, people can jump on to the Comics Launch podcast and see – Oh, I like it's all here. Like I, I can, you know, I, I can start from the beginning. And I ha- have had people like, like, like meet me at conventions or, or send me emails. They're like, "Yeah, I've been binging you. Uh, I started at the beginning. I'm almost <laughs> like, like I'm almost caught up." <laughs> oh and my I'm god! Like, you know, it's yeah. it, it's funny because I'm like, I guarantee you, you've heard more of my voice uh, than uh, than you probably have. Like your your wife or your kids, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, when you get into that. But but, but yeah. I've I've done that too. You know, I do a lot of dog walking and a lot of dishes uh, in my house, and <laughs> exactly throw the podcast in, throw it on one and a half uh, speed, and you can sort of get yep. an education there. So so yeah, that that um, that definitely uh, I think helped. But you know, there's so much that um, goes into a, a crowdfunding launch, and it does feel like this big high stakes event that. Um, there's a lot of fear there. Um, fear uh, is kind of the biggest thing holding creators back uh, from from launching, um, and you know that fear of failure. And and on a platform like Kickstarter, it's not even just failure; it's like public failure, right? It's going to be it's yeah. you're launching, and it's going to be there. It's going to live there for forever. Everybody um, sees it. <laughs> but yeah. you know, on the other side of that fear is changing the trajectory of your creative life and uh and so i i it's very um rewarding to uh to be a part of you know play a part even a small part in uh creators doing that yeah and i'll say i i don't listen to a whole lot of comics podcast stuff but for what i do for a living i listen to a lot of podcasts and and to everyone out there the comics launch podcast i'm not even saying this because you're here this is one of these surreal moments where we've interviewed somebody that's been a part of one of our, or both of our lives for years. And you're one of them because you're in my ear every week and I listen <laughs> to the show. So I got to recommend it to everybody out there. It's, it's a great resource. Even if you're not 
a creator per se, I really do enjoy your interviews as well. Just talking, if you're nerdy about industry stuff, it's a really great show to jump into. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. It, I, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. And, uh, and it's, it's nice. It, it's definitely nice to hear that. It's a show that like, I, over the years, you know, when we first started out, I sort of did very tactical sort of Kickstarter focused things, we sort of expanded out a little bit to address the broader, uh, challenges that creators do face. Um, we do, I do a lot of interviews as well now, um, to try to, you know, learn from some of the best that are out there as well as creators that like are, are doing interesting work that could use uh, like deserves more, more coverage. Um, and, and, and it's nice to, uh, be not like the nice thing about having, you know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes out there is, uh, you can sort of freewheel it a little bit and um, take some chances on different topics and say, Hey, you didn't like this one. Well, <laughs> we've got an archive. You can go back in and, and find the, the topic that you're looking for. I'm, I'm sure. But, um, yeah. but yeah, you know, the, the other thing about it when it gets up is, is like, sometimes I will uh, start like working on a, on a, uh, a, a show or an idea. And I'm like, did I already do this? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, yeah. like, don't I already have the, the these these five tips or these those things? I'm like, oh yes, I do. Let me, uh, well, can, let's update them. You know, yeah, yeah. I and I think some uh, something to that is like when you start the podcast, and now you, you know hundreds of episodes later, it almost like starts molding itself into your like comfort zone or like where you you find it fitting the best when you bring creators on. And I mean, Chris and I never had like a a method for this. And I'm sure you didn't for at first either, but it kind of just, you're like, okay, these are the things people typically want to talk about. This is what people want to hear. And this is what everybody, this is like the comfort zone for everybody where you start to like hit your stride. And it takes like, I would say at least a hundred episodes to get to that point. But yeah. 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 I, d I definitely don't think I'm a great interviewer at this point. Um, and I, and there are things that, you know, I wish I could do more research about my guests before I pull them on and, and, uh, you know, but what ends up happening in most cases is, is in a lot of, or a lot of cases, the guests are, are people that, um, I've discovered through the comics launch pro community or people that, um, you know, I, I've just been, uh, have a little bit more intimate knowledge on their projects and the, the cool stuff that they're doing because I've, you know, helped them, um, with that, or, you know, they're, they're showing up to coaching sessions or asking really good questions. Um, so that, that makes it a little bit easier, but, um, you know, I, and and the other nice thing about it is it, it in a lot of ways that community can help you know keep me keep my finger on the pulse of like updates or changes or have you tried this or um, you know and and they sort of tell me tell me what uh, what topics they want me to cover so there's my built-in focus group right there yep yep and I'll say it, the reason you came on my radar I actually I so I bought Red Ten like years ago at, at a con. And it was, you know, read it and loved it and all that. But then when you really became on my radar as a, like, a personality was we started doing the show. And for anyone that's going out starting a show like this, the first thing we did was went on Kickstarter and started talking to these indie creators. Like, hey, do you want to, do you want to do an interview? You want to do an interview? And that's how we made connections and all that. And what I found out after a while from getting to know a lot of these people was I would, gather to guess at least 80 to 90% of them 
are from Comics Launch Pro. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, and yeah there's a pattern. It yeah. was, yeah, because they were the ones that stood out and they were the ones that were most successful. So then I learned about Comic Launch Pro and started, you know, so I listened to podcasts and everything. So what I've heard from all of them is like, not only what a great resource it is, but one of the best resources that came from it is the fact that you've built a community of creators who all stick together. And when I watch them, you can see them all sticking together. And if you really pay attention on things like Facebook or Twitter, when you're following creators you like on Kickstarter, they the same people are kind of in there helping each other out, having each other's backs. And it's one of the great things that was built there. Now, was that like always something that you wanted to put into there? That kind of a happy accident that happened because of this thing you created. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's probably what, probably one of the things I'm most proud of, but also I don't know that like, I, I don't want to like feign humility, humility or humbleness here because I, like one thing that I think, um, did come from me was with the podcast was sort of like the vibe and the, um, the lines in which like I operate in, right? Like there are a lot of people that make a lot of money on the internet being extremely polarizing. Um, and, (laughs) and, you know, throwing, throwing a lot of punches, throwing a lot of shots, uh, and picking fights and doing, you know, and, and just that general nasty, you know, comics, Twitter, mm-hmm. like stuff. Yep. And I really tried to not be about any of that. And so most of the people that come in Comics Launch Pro uh, listen to the podcast anywhere between, you know, three months to four years. Like I've had some people like, yeah, I've been listening to you for five years and now I'm going to join, now I'm going to join the course and start launching Kickstarters. It's like, okay, what took you so long? But you, you know, if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes. Now's the time. Like, let's do it. Um, but I do think like the decision to, you know, have a certain positivity and, uh, and, and have certain controversies or things that I wasn't going to get into or stoke, um, has led to the fact that the people that do join the program sort of jump in and are kind of the right kind of people, like the, the good people that, that are, 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 are the kind of people that you would want in a community, you know? And, and so I, like, I haven't, you know, in, in five, six years, I haven't banned us, had to ban or like, like remove anyone um, from an online community, which I think is actually pretty good. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, obviously like the, the so, you know, the, 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 the podcast is free. Our, our, I do charge, you know, for the comics launch pro program, you know, there's like a, a one-time fee to, to join that and, and everything. But, um, so that helps as well. It's like, you know, it's not just like trolls don't jump, you know, jump in and, uh, and out anonymously and everybody's sort of like, but, but these are all creators that are there for the right reasons there to do the work and then kind of recognize that, Oh, wait a minute. You know, one of the things that makes the whole Kickstarter thing work is, um, being in the community of comic book Kickstarter creators. Um, and, and, and it adds legitimacy. It adds, uh, the cross promotion opportunities are tremendous. Um, and so creators that really embrace that 
you know, know that like that rising tide raises all, all ships. And that has actually proven to happen. You know, when I, when I said, when I started comics launch in 2015, like the success rate for comics was, was less than 50%. Now it's like over 70%. And it is the, by far the high, like more projects get funded successfully on Kickstarter in the comics category in terms of success rate than any other of the categories. Um, I don't take the credit for that, but the comics Kickstarter community as a whole, I think can take a lot of credit in that. So, yeah. So, I mean, we've taken up a ton of your time. So, I mean, we appreciate every second you've given us. I know you don't have a campaign going on right now because you're currently in fulfillment mode, but do you know what's coming up for comics, uh, uh, tribe in 2023? Uh, what the, future projects are? Yeah. Uh, you know, the next sort of next three immediate projects are going to be, uh, well, I actually just got a, a message from Joel Mulvey who, uh, sent over the final version of the, uh, script for the final issue of happy Hill, which has been a vacation horror series that, uh, he has been working on with, um, writer, Rich Duick, who is, uh, just on a, on a tremendous run himself. Um, with uh, projects that he's done with us, as well as uh, he's got some awesome books with uh, IDW. Um, and um, and so that uh, will be launching early, like in the next couple of months, um, as we uh, as he puts the finishing touches on the art and the, and the script. Um, Sync is returning. Um, that is the uh, John Lee's Alex Cormick uh, horror crime horror, uh, series set in a, a bizarre twisted version of Glasgow, Scotland, which is John's hometown. Um, and I'm really excited for that to come back because up until this point, um, sync has sort of been a series of like standalone one, sh- like standalone, like one shoddy stories that all take place in a shared universe and a shared uh, locale. Um, but John, as as it will start to become clear in this next volume that John has actually been weaving together since the very beginning an interconnected sort of almost like Sandman esque uh, masterpiece where like all of these disparate stories are going to be coming together to weave like this one big master tale and uh, and so this next volume is like a, a five part um, murder mystery. Uh, but also um, will incorporate uh, some brand new iconic characters, um, uh, including a a seven foot tall razor teeth uh, mouth filled uh, vampire named Iron Tooth Jack. Uh, And it'll also bring back um, Mr. Dig and uh, all of uh, the the blue van clowns and all of our our people's favorite uh, characters from the first couple of volumes of sync. So sync will be uh, that, that uh, will, will be launching the, Sync number eleven, which is the next issue, but um, we hope to get the full ser- the full third volume out um, over the course of this next year. So that's a big thing. Um, on the filming side, a fistful of pain hardcovers will be going out uh, very shortly as well. So we're excited to get those out to people. And then um, Comics Tribe also has a children's book imprint uh, called Sea uh, Us for Cthulhu, and uh, this is. Um, uh, one of the biggest things that that we we do, it turns out the the children's book market for like horror themed children's book is actually pretty pretty rad. Wow. Um, and <laughs> Who knew know, as a crazy. dad with with uh, young kids, like the toys and the plush toys and the and the children's board books is a, is a great little market to be in. And so um, we'll be launching um, 
for the first time in uh, a long time, or for the first time, we'll be expanding our line of plush toys to include um, uh, some of the other characters that were in our CS for Cthulhu alphabet board book. Um, so we have a big launch with three, maybe four uh, new plush toys um, that um, we'll be launching uh, within the next couple of months as well. So it should be a big, busy, packed first half of uh, 20, 2023 for us. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds it. <laughs> and uh, if people want to follow you further and also throw in there too, if uh, you have like an online store where people can catch old books or anything like that, where yeah. can we send people to check out all your work? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would head over to shop.comicstribe.com to uh, check out what we have for sale at our online shop. Um, if you also go to comicstribe.com forward slash subscribe, I believe you can get, uh, we'll, we'll email you like five free comics. Uh, so you can sort of sample our line. Um, and then, uh, just for me, uh, you can get me in your earbuds weekly. If you subscribe to the comics launch podcast, C O M I X launch, uh, podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, and then I would also say for anyone that is interested in comics and crowdfunding, I have a free strategy guide that uh, you can get that has a bunch of really cool tips um, and highlights some of the people inside our community. Also highlights some of the people that uh, I look up to in the world of comics and crowdfunding and share some of their, uh, their secrets. Um, so you can go to comicslaunch.com forward slash funded and get that free strategy guide. Um, and hopefully that will help you. And um, yeah, hope to, uh, you know, pick up some, some new listeners and have some new readers down the line, but um, yeah, really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to in include me in your epic banner episode, <laughs> foil enhanced uh, yep. Holo yep. hologram. Oh God. I wish we had foil enhanced episode. I did see that on your website. You do sell foil covers. So that's, that's the one thing I look for those foil variants. Everybody they're on. His yeah, website. man, as a, as a kid that uh, grew up collecting in the nineties, I'm still oh, a yeah. sucker. Oh the, yeah, I see, uh, I see that glimmer. Variants. I see that that glint in my eye when I walk into a comic shop. Like I don't even care what it is, I'm buying it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah. everybody, if uh, when we get to episode 400, I'll foil enhance Mike for you. Okay, that's perfect. what we'll do. That's, that's what I want. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So, uh, Tyler, thank you so much for taking the time. Like I said, I really appreciate you coming and chatting with us. And everybody out there, remember check the show notes. I'll have most, if not all, of those links in the show notes down below, so you can just click on them and check out all the great work. And make sure to keep following Tyler moving forward because he's always doing great stuff. So, yeah, thanks again. And uh, thanks, we'll do this again sometime. Chris, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And we're back on the other side. Um, of yeah. darkness. Of darkness. No, great interview. Uh, check out all the stuff Tyler's doing. Listen to his podcast. Uh, if you need help with Kickstarter, that's that's if you want to publish a book. Um, man, we have all these resources available to me. It's like I think about it all the time. Why don't I just come up with a comic idea? And I've had some comic ideas. Do it, Mike. Um, Do it. Uh, well, I might need help. I'm not a writer, so. Neither am I, but I did it. <laughs> yeah, but you did it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could come up with something together that's like an epic an epic idea. Let me just, I'm, I'm going to tease a little bit. I was going to do it on this episode, but th th there's something in the works. We could talk. Oh, wow. Okay. Something in the works. All right. All right. Something in the works, everybody. Okay. 
That's getting me excited. Uh, comic news. Groot is finally getting an origin story this spring. The four-issue series will be written by Dan Abnett with art by Damian Cucciero. Uh, okay. If it was a Groot ongoing series, I'd be a little more concerned. Uh, Groot origin, four pages, four, four issues. Okay. That sounds fun. I'll get it. I like I like the Guardians. I don't yeah. know if I need an origin story for Groot. Yeah, not really. Like, I don't know. He's a plant thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'd be more. I think like it depends what the origin story is because if it, if it's how Groot and Rocket met, which I think they've done before, but I could be yeah. wrong about. I'd like I'm more interested in that story. That's the real origin of Groot. Right. Like when he gets introduced to everybody. Yeah. But, but if, yeah, if it, I'll, I'll buy it. And it's Dan Abnett. Yeah. Dan Abnett's done a bunch with the Guardians over the years and is like one of the the first to really do this version of the Guardians and like he helped with the video like he's been all over these characters for a long time and uh mm-hmm. I have faith that he has something in store for it. Okay. Yeah. I uh I'm just curious if the whole book will be him saying I am Groot. <laughs> it will, don't you worry. There if you remember, there was a Groot ongoing series like four or five years ago yeah whenever guardians 2 came out yep and yes the entire book was Groot saying i am Groot." it was one of the easiest reads you'll ever find <laughs> <laughs> it's very art um forward so yep yep yeah makes sense <laughs> yeah that happened yeah i can't i can't imagine it's a hard script to really write out um yeah, uh, Marvel has announced that Darth Vader is getting his own black, white, and red series. The spring titled, as you'd expect, Star Wars uh, Darth Vader, black, white, and red. The first issue of the anthology series will feature work from Jason Aaron, Peach Momoko, and Grobeck. This is actually sick, and I might this might be like the first black, white, and red that I pick up, because I think this is awesome. I've picked up a bunch of these black, white, and red books. i got to yeah. be honest. Meh, on most of them. We got Jason Aaron, brother. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, they get good talent. I just, I don't know. There's something about them that just hasn't hit with me. But, of course, I'm going to get this. Yeah, I feel like Darth Vader is the character you do it with. You know, that's the, more, that's the universe where I want more of an anthology series. What I love about it is, you know, it's black, white, and red. So they've done, like, they did Wolverine because yeah. blood. They did Elektra <laughs> because blood. Um, they did Deadpool because Deadpool makes money. Right. Uh, <laughs> he also has a red suit. I can see that. Yeah, that too. But And then they did uh, Moon Knight because blood. But now mm-hmm. this one, like, lightsaber. Yeah. It, it, right. it makes sense to, to do it. So Red lightsaber. Yeah. Yep. I'll be I'll be checking it out. I mean, I get everything else Star Wars. Why wouldn't I? Could, I mean, these four yeah. issues aren't really going to break the bank, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Um, I'm sure you've read worse for Star Wars related stuff. Um, <laughs> and that's it for comic news. We'll talk about what we read this week. I wrote a whole two issues. <laughs> I'm just, it was just a crazy week. Going to catch up for next week. Uh, so I'm glad that we had a long episode this week. <laughs> um, I And I have a list of stuff I need to get to. Uh, but there are two Batman related issues. Surprise there, everybody. Uh, I read Batman Incorporated number four this week. Uh, uh, Bryson and Tim's. Um, this is a good issue. 
uh, all the Batman incorporated people that are fighting the other bad ones are, are losing their fights. Uh, Ghostmaker goes back to like the hate HQ and gets set up. Um, Cloudmaker is about to take revenge on him for, you know, the way he was treated, all this shit. Um, it basically like the story comes from like a, a couple of heroes that joined up from the past that kind of got screwed over by um, whoever was in charge at the time related to Batman Incorporated or Ghostmaker, and now they're just taking revenge. It's an okay story. Um, I probably would like it more if it didn't focus so much on, like, these... I hate saying these characters' names, like Ghostmaker and Cloudmaker, and it just... I don't know. Batman of Japan. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I like the Batman Corporate... Like, I love the Grant Morrison Batman Incorporated. Yeah. And I'm enjoying this one, but yeah, there it's it's not the same. I kind of hope this has like a finite ending and just kind of yeah. goes away. But now, if you want to give me an ongoing like Batman of China or Batman of Japan, like the you know the new Superman um, came with the uh, Batman of China, that one that guy was awesome. I would love to have a book about him. If the book uh, became like Batman around the world. Yeah, that'd be cool too. Like that's what I want. Like that's yeah. what incorporate should be. I, I mean, we get like all these cool characters that we know and love and miss, and they're like, now we're gonna focus on Ghostmaker. No. <laughs> I'm like, ah. and Clownmaker. I don't know. Uh, okay, a book I really enjoyed this week: Batman: The Adventures Continue, Season Three, Number One. This is Burnett and Deanie and Gibson on the art. Uh, this was a cool issue. Um, kind of like a one shot. Nice. It's a story of like a mob informant that keeps a, a uh, people keep trying to assassinate him in prison. Uh, Batman saves him pretty much. And um, and then at the end, he gets put as part of Task Force X is what they decide to do with him. But uh, I mean, yeah, it hits all the beats. I think we see Killer Croc in the issue, right? Um, get to see a lot of cool characters, you know, animated series style. I love the series when they do these. So, and I love Lockup shows up. Yeah, and Lockup's one of those goofy like animated series characters that I just love because he's so mm-hmm. goofy. Yeah, nineties. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's all I had this week. Sorry, guys. So, if I'll start with a few quick ones that Mike talked about last week, and just some old books, but DC vs. Vampires twelve, I did read this week. Oh yeah. Um, enjoyed it. Kind of disappointed at the ending. Like I wanted yeah. a finite ending, but you're right. Like there's another series coming. <laughs> uh, so good series overall, though. I still really, really enjoyed it and I'm glad I stuck with it. Dark Knights of Steel number nine. So there's this one also had like a twist ending, but it's not the end of the book. And I'm going to spoil this. Everybody. It's been a couple weeks. You had a chance to read it. When like it shows up and we find out that like who's behind the whole war is the the white Martians versus the the regular Martians, I was blown away. Like I I did not see that coming at all. I didn't think they were going to introduce that to this world. Yeah, so really like that. Once upon a time at the end of the world, number two, uh, really good issue. Kind of the two main characters. And this one, it's them like really getting to know them each other and figuring out who they are and why they why they're now stuck together 
And then at the end of the book, we get kind of the real threat of the the series, like who's coming after them and everything. So this is a really fun series. Lazarus Planet Alpha number one. It was okay. It's setting up a big event. It's a lot of moving parts. And there was stuff in there that I didn't know was a part of this. Like Blue Devil shows up. Oh, I was like, that's cool. I haven't seen Blue Devil in a while, but yeah. like, I don't know where he came from. Cool, random. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all in all, just like the collection of characters was fun. And I like that like Monkey Prince is a part of it. So like he's going to have a big influence on this event and everything. That's cool. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. I'll, I'm going to keep I'm going to finish it just to see what this is all about. Little Monsters number nine was not a good issue. It's. At this point where like it's kind of going through the motions of like all the characters trying to figure out why they were lied to by the elder vampires. So it's a lot of just like these dialogue moments of them like figuring things out. But I am really enjoying that series. I'm going to save my nemesis talk for the end. I'm disappointed you didn't read it. Oh, man. That's where the quote came from. I should have known. No, the quote I sent you. Um, what was the quote I sent you? I don't need a box for my lunch. Yeah, that's from Black Adam, actually. Oh, was it? Oh, my yeah, God. The little kid goes, um, was talking to him about like different merchandising things he can do. He's like, and you can be on uh, lunch boxes. And he just looks at the kid with all seriousness and goes, I don't need a box for my lunch. Yeah. Is that, yeah, that <laughs> shit, those jokes. I think I blurred that out of my brain. So I was like, what the fuck is that line doing in this movie? That's one of those moments where I was like, what the hell is going on? Um, Savage Avengers number nine, really good issue. Savage Avengers in 29.9. Everybody should be reading this book. I've got a lot, so I'm going to like kind of run through them quick. Yeah. Uh, Moon Knight number 19 was really good. It's, we kind of get the backstory of the resurrections on how like Kanchu can bring back the Moon Knight. And they really set a finite limit to it where like every time Kanchu resurrects a fist of Kanchu, they come back, but not whole, Mm. like something of them is missing. And I have a feeling that's going to be twisted into why Mark Spector's has split personalities and all that too. But uh, they just mentioned that daredevil number seven was daredevil going out on a, the first half of this issue was daredevil going on a mission to stop landlords from evicting people, which was really strange. Uh, they made it into like a, you know, rot, rot, slum lords are bad thing, which, you know, mm-hmm. we all needed to hear from Daredevil. That's... Yeah, right. <laughs> Come on. But then the second half, he goes back to the island and figures out that he basically comes to the conclusion that he has to fight Punisher in the, the hand. So it's really leading up to those two books kind of colliding in some way. Avengers War Across Time, number one. This is the Paul Levitz, Alan Davis Avengers book. And they tell you about a million times in this issue that it takes place directly after Avengers 11. So in case you didn't know, it's in here like eight times. (laughs) In case you didn't know, now you guys know. We told you. What's cool about the book is it reads kind of like an old comic of that time. So it's got a lot of the dialogue stuff and like the characters are actually acting the way they did back then. Um, so it's cool, but some of it, if 
you've never read that stuff is jarring because like oh yeah janet van dyme was like a just sex craved back then like she was always like ogling thor and then like trying to like get giant man to like sleep with her and it's it's strange it's of the time but this was kang going through time and finding ways to bring to basically take control of different heroes through time and send them back to fight the avengers so it's very simple concept in this one it was hulk but I, I did really enjoy it for what it was. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number two. Um, Miles teams up with Misty Knight and they fight Scorpion again. Nice. But it's a really good book. I, I like Miles. My Scout Comics book of the week was Grim Space. Oh. Grim with two M's for a reason. This is a like sci-fi retelling of like Grim fantasy. Oh, that's cool. So... This issue is the lead character is Jack and he's on the ship, the Beanstalk. <laughs> I mean, it, pretty sure you understand the story from there. That's awesome. And they, they find this interstellar drive that sends them somewhere. They run into a giant alien. He tries to steal an egg. And it's just retelling the Jack and the Beanstalk story. Mm-hmm. But really well done. Art's really good. And the book starts with Jack, um, how he gets the drive is he's trying to sell a robot he has, which is a P1 Nokio <laughs> robot. Yeah. So then the end of the book, you get, um, uh, oh, what the hell was his name? Because it wasn't the correct name. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. So you get a character named Pedo who finds the P1 Nokio uh, um, and ends up buying it with uh, his, uh, robot g1 mini Uh and uh if if that sounds interesting like it's being published by scout right now and issue two is actually on kickstarter um frank martin is the writer he's a guy i've like supported for a while so i wanted to this is one of the books actually missed by him so when i saw it was published by scout yeah happy to pick it up that's cool uh captain america and sorry captain america sentinel of liberty number nine Big thing here, it's a big action sequence, war sequence. The big thing here is they're bringing back Dimension Z, which is where Steve Rogers' son comes from. It nice. was like a really good storyline from like years ago. So there's a big thing there. And then if that wasn't enough, they like fight these monsters from Dimension Z. They close the portals just in time. And then at the end of the issue, the new Falcon shows up, who they've been kind of hinting throughout the series that he was infected with vampire dna or something and he shows up and is ready to fight sam nice he's all vampire of course he is so then my two books i read for mike this week so i read nemesis volume one because i'd never read it before okay and really enjoyed it it's it's a quick action like four yeah. issues yeah uh, the concept's simple i enjoyed it it's fun so then I picked up Nemesis Reloaded number one uh-huh. to find out that it is a reboot, not a continuation. Wait, what? <laughs> he says right in the beginning of the book, this is a reboot of Nemesis. Why? I don't know. What's different about this Nemesis? Uh, it's it seems like the same. It seems like it could have been a continuation. Okay, but 
it seems like he wanted to like flesh out the character more. So like we get a little bit more of like why he's doing what he's doing. And it's a little bit, little bit more of a believable tale. Like he doesn't do okay. it by himself as much. He get, like gets a gang together and does this. It's, I don't, if you didn't know that you would just think it was the next nemesis. Yeah. But right. there is like a whole page thing of him being like, I'm re- this is a reboot. I'm rebooting it. That's weird. Yeah. But it was really good for okay, first cool. issue. Yeah, I get. I'm. It's on my list. So, and then I read my bad volume one. Oh, nice. Um, I love this book. <laughs> yeah, I told you, man. I mean, there's a character called Lionel Richie. Yes. Um, like you said, Acid Chimp is steals the show. The chandelier is fantastic. Like the whole thing that. Emperor King, his like big plan was to the way he figured out Chandelier's secret identity was that he just sent a present salad to mixers. every rich person. Yeah. And his just happened to be a salad shooter. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, all the lamp like themed stuff mm-hmm. that he has is phenomenal. And then like uh, acid chimp just at the end, like him, <laughs> him just trying to find like vats of acid to throw at people just made yeah. me laugh. It doesn't stop in volume two, by the way. Yeah, it's it's a blast. It's told in the really, as far as like trade waiting went for this, it's told in a strange way where like it probably would have read better in single issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm but I still really enjoyed it and like really recommend it and going through and seeing all the covers they did for this book is just phenomenal. Oh yeah. Jim, uh, is Jamal Eagle on the art or no, uh, Peter Krause, Peter Krause. Yeah. Yeah. The art is amazing for those covers. I have a lot of them. And there's this moment too, that I wanted to point out. Cause it just, it makes me laugh when he's, when Chandelier's trying to figure out like, should I change my superhero shtick? Yeah. And he's talking to I, whatever his butler's name is, the the Alfred of his story. Yeah. And the Alfred goes, you could simply take on the streets as a different type of hero. And it just shows a guy with a deer head on. This is tell thy friends there exists a new hero in the streets. And his name is Alfred Lord Venison. And for some reason, that makes me laugh. Yep. <laughs> That's Mark Russell for you. So, yeah. Uh, I recommend this and I look forward to volume two coming out so I can read that. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad you picked it up and read it. It's amazing. Yeah. So I know you didn't read much Mike, but I read enough for the both of us. Yeah, you did. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you and or the show? You can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter and the show at Fortress Comics underscore on Twitter. Also at Fortress of Remember, everybody, to give us the five-star review and podcast of your choice, to like, subscribe, share, comment down below on the YouTube version, and to show your support for the show even further by supporting our sponsors, our affiliate links down in the show notes, and Patreon at patreon.com slash Fortress Comics. So thank you all so much for listening for all 300 episodes and beyond, and we'll see you all here next week. 